0: Before we jump into today's episode of Survivor Sanctuary, I want to let you know that you can become a supporter of this podcast and help offset some of the costs of bringing this podcast to you each week. You can visit anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary, click on Donate, and you can give an amount starting at $0.99 a month and going up to $9.99 a month. If you love the podcast and you want to keep new episodes coming to you, then visit anchor.fm slash Sanctuary and become a monthly donor today. More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse, but sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Welcome to another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. It's Kelly, your host, and I want to thank you as always for joining me here on the podcast. Hey, before we get into this week's episode, make sure that you join us on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group page. Just search Survivor Sanctuary podcast on Facebook and request to join. You'll be prompted to answer a very simple question, and if you answer correctly, I will add you into the group and you can join in some of the conversations that we have on the group page. always learning a lot, and just being able to be there for each other is a really great thing. Well, this week, something has been on my mind and heart for the last couple of weeks, actually, that I wanted to talk about today. I don't know if you've seen this meme floating around Facebook. And this entire podcast episode is not about a meme, but it just kind of Puts into like a very succinct way what I want to say in this podcast today. And the meme goes something like, speaking out about sexual abuse doesn't hurt the reputation of the church. Sexually abusing children hurts the reputation of the church. So I'm not picking on this meme today. I have liked this. I've hearted it. I do agree wholeheartedly that if we are worried about the reputation of the church, it's not speaking out about sexual abuse that makes the church look bad. It is definitely the abuse of children that makes the church look bad. So while I do agree with this in part, there's something that I've noticed about this meme and about some of the sentiment behind it. That just doesn't add up for me. And I was listening to a sermon from somebody else. Actually, I heard about this and I have to give credit where credit is due. I listened to an episode from several weeks back on Eric Skorzynski's podcast, Preacher Boys, and he actually was playing a sermon by, I believe, Tommy McMurtry that was like confessing the sins of the IFB, and in this particular message, he was talking about abuse and cover-ups. And at one point in the message, he was talking about not wanting any perverts in the church and saying, like, if you're a pervert, get out of the church. Like, just leave the church and go be a pervert at somebody else's church. Go make their church look bad. So it's kind of bringing you back to the meme that perverts in the church make the church look bad, right? Right. And in this sermon, he actually used the story of David and Bathsheba to illustrate his point. And I doubt that I need to rehash the whole story of David and Bathsheba here, because I think that a lot of folks who listen to Survivor Sanctuary probably spent some time within the church, and you basically know the general gist, but essentially... David sees Bathsheba bathing and basically takes her for himself. It's considered sexual assault because he was a king and she was not. And there was no way that she could consent to him. There was definitely no way that she could say no. So essentially, he sexually assaulted her, stole her from her husband, who was Uriah, A big leader in his army, and then she became pregnant. And so to cover up his evil that he had done, he had his men put Uriah in the front of the, I guess, the front lines of the battlefield so that he would be sure and die. And he did die. So the prophet comes to David and tells a story about this poor farmer that just had one little ewe lamb. And he loved this lamb and he hand fed it from his own plate. And it was the pride and joy of his life. And he just adored this lamb. And then there was a rich dude who had tons of livestock and tons of lambs and fields full of like, I guess, creatures running around and all that his money could buy. And he had a visitor come, needed to kill a lamb. And instead of killing one from his own stock, he steals this poor guy's lamb, slaughters it and takes away like the love of this guy's life. So of course, David is burning in fury that anyone would do such a thing. And he's basically like, find me this man and I'll kill him. And as we know, the prophet Nathan says, you are the man or if we're being KJV only, which I am sure Tommy McMurtry is, thou art the man. So David is rebuked. And essentially, Nathan says that the Lord is going to spare David's life. But because by this deed, you've given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child who is born to you shall surely die. So in this sermon of Tommy McMurtry's, he grabs on to that one sentence, because you've given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, and basically says that the moral of the story is that what David did caused God's enemies to blaspheme. That was the big sin. <laughs> like He steals another man's wife, sexually assaults her, forces her to Sleep with him, gets her pregnant, has her husband murdered. And the reason that was so bad is because him doing all of those things gave occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme God's name. Now, that was out of the New King James Version because I don't have a KJV version handy. Sorry, Tommy McMurtry. But if you read some other versions of the Bible, like the New International Version, the NASB, says, since by this deed, you have shown utter disrespect for the Lord. So instead of saying it's given occasion to your enemies to blaspheme the Lord, some other versions have translated it. Since by this deed, you've shown utter disrespect for the Lord. The child himself who is born to you shall surely die. So Why am I splitting hairs about what this particular verse could mean? And by the way, I'm not a a biblical scholar. And I don't personally, like, I'm not going back into the original language to find out what this exact sentence would have meant in the original language and in that culture. Like, I'm not doing that. I am sure there are some awesome people out there who have done this for us. And maybe I'll look that up at some point. Not the point of this podcast. I think the point is that it's interesting what... An independent fundamental Baptist preacher decided to grab onto from this story with all of the things that happened. And with the story that the prophet Nathan told to implicate David, like out of all of that, the big takeaway is you've given God's enemies reason to blaspheme. And the reason that fits so well into this particular sermon is the same reason that it would fit very well into this particular meme that goes around Facebook all the time. Um, It isn't speaking out about sexual abuse that hurts the reputation of the church or hurts God's reputation. It is the sexual abuse of children in the church that hurts God's reputation or hurts the church's reputation. And while I definitely agree that that is true, I have to say As a survivor of sexual abuse and as somebody who speaks to survivors of sexual abuse all the time, and as someone who has read through the New Testament many, many, many times and read the words of Jesus many, many, many times, this is not what sticks out to me about this story. Nathan could have come to David and he could have told a story, any kind of a story, to talk about doing something bad that gives your enemies the chance to blaspheme your God. He could have told any number of stories, but that's not what he did. Instead, Nathan tells the story of this poor man. All he had was this little lamb that he nurtured. It grew up with him and his children. It ate and drank from his own plate and his own cup. It was like a daughter to him. Like we get the feeling this man loved this lamb. It wasn't just like, eh, this is my livestock and it wasn't fair for you to kill one of my sheep when you could have killed your own sheep. No, there was emotion behind it. There was feeling behind it. There was a deep love that this man had for this little ewe lamb. He loved it. Do you think he was going to slaughter it so his kids could eat it? I seriously doubt it. I mean, if he was super poor, maybe he would be forced to do it at some point. But there's more to... To this story, then you stole a lamb that didn't belong to you when you had plenty of your own lambs. And so you're making God look bad. It wasn't that. It's literally the hearts and the people behind this story. Of course, what David did gave his enemies occasion to blaspheme the Lord. Of course, what David did made God, quote, look bad. But when you read this story, it is not God looking bad that is the focus of this chapter it is the people created in God's image who God loves the people who loved each other Bathsheba's husband like we don't we don't talk a lot about how she might have felt when her husband was murdered so that David could cover up his sin and could cover up his assault of her and his impregnating of her. Like we don't hear about how Bathsheba might have felt. Did she love her husband? I mean, I guess there's a chance she didn't. But for the most part, I mean, this was her husband. It was the person that she was going to spend the rest of her life with. Like these are human beings created in God's image. And I don't think that God's anger burned against David simply because it made his name look bad? Could it be that his anger burned against David? Because what happened was a deep violation of human beings created in the image of God. So I want to take it back from this story, back to the sermon that I originally started telling you about. And if you look up Tommy McMurtry confessing the sins of the IFB, I think you'll be able to find it if you look at the Preacher Voice podcast, um, the episode from, I believe it was July 6th of 2021. You can find it there, and you can listen to the whole message if you want. But as this preacher is talking about perverts in the church, like he doesn't say like child molesters or child predators. They're just perverts. And he also spends a lot of time trying to make it seem as though... Every pervert is the same, like the sin leveling, like if a dude has an affair with someone, it's the same as a predator, like sexually assaulting children. It's not the same thing. It isn't like an affair between two consenting adults is not at all the same as An adult predator sexually assaulting a child, two very different things. But aside from the sin leveling, there's a lot of, if you're a pervert, we don't want you in our church. We don't want you making our church look bad. Go to that church down the road. Go to that trendy church that we don't like and make that church look bad. So there was a lot of this just being thrown around in this message. And it really reminded me of this meme that I mentioned earlier that I see on Facebook all the time, that it's not speaking out about sexual abuse that makes the church look bad or that ruins the reputation of the church. It's the sexual abuse of children that ruins the reputation of the church. And while that is technically true, and while it makes sense when you're thinking of churches that are very concerned (laughs) with their reputations, why is it that that's the first place that we go? So we complain a lot that a lot of Christians, a lot of churches and church leaders are super preoccupied with the reputation of the church. They're very concerned with any scandal happening, anything going down that might make the church look bad, that might hurt the reputation of the church. We're very concerned with that in churches, it seems. And that ends up hurting survivors of sexual abuse quite a bit because that's why you end up seeing you know, stories being swept under the rug and nothing to see here, let's cover up this sexual abuse and let's act like it never happened and let's forgive and forget and yada, 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 and we know the issues that come out of that. But I don't think the answer to that is for us as survivors to correct the church and be like, no, 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 no. It's not talking about sexual abuse. It's not exposing sexual abuse that makes your church look bad. It's sexually abusing kids that makes your church look bad. But I kind of want to reword the second part of that meme or maybe the entire thing. It's not speaking out about sexual abuse that makes your church look bad, because it doesn't matter if speaking out about sexual abuse makes your church look bad. It also doesn't matter if sexual abuse makes your church look bad, because in both of those scenarios, the thing that we are focused on is how the church looks After these events, it's how the church looks when someone speaks out about sexual abuse. And it's still how the church looks when people are sexually abusing children. And that is turned upside down on its head because we should not be concerned about the reputation of the church, period. Do we want to let our light shine? Yes. But when it comes to the sexual abuse of children, the thing that makes the sexual abuse of little children a heinous and horrible thing has nothing to do with the way that it makes God look. It has nothing to do with the way that it makes the church look. What it has to do with is innocent little souls, innocent little bodies, bodies created in the image of God that are being assaulted and robbed of their innocence By ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing. They're being ripped to shreds. Their lives are being changed forever. And in many cases, these kiddos are going to grow up and not know what to think of God, not know what to make of him because of what horrible thing was done to them at the hands of a person who claimed to love God. Maybe I shouldn't get like super worked up that we're concerned about the reputation of the church, but. I don't know how to explain to people that they should care about innocent little children being sexually assaulted. Like, I don't, if you don't find that horrifying, I don't know what words to put it into that are gonna make you find it horrifying. And we've got pastors who are getting behind pulpits and they're preaching about what makes their churches look bad. And then they're talking about David and Bathsheba, and basically what David did in murdering Uriah, in sexually assaulting Bathsheba, those things, it wasn't about the fact that he destroyed two lives, that he destroyed human beings and murdered a human being created in God's image who God loved. It wasn't about that. It's all just about how it made God look. I think the thing that scares me about the way that some People of faith believe is when there is a complete and utter lack of compassion. We've talked about this on Survivor Sanctuary before. We talked about it a lot when the whole SBC thing just blew up with the Russell Moore leaked emails. And we talked about how, you know, the SBC put forth this effort, um, the Caring Well conference, like we're going to let people talk and we're going to give voice to the voiceless. And so, Outside it was a show of we care about the abused and we care about, you know, the people who have been hurt within the SBC, but then behind closed doors, they're being called whores and harlots and all this just super disparaging stuff where you see that there's no care or concern for survivors of sexual abuse. There's only care and concern for the reputation of the church. And you host a Caring Well conference, not because your heart is broken for people whose bodies and spirits and souls have been broken, but you host this conference because you want your church to look as though it cares about the souls of the broken. Do you understand the disconnect? Like do you get the disconnect? I will I will never, like I get it. I get the disconnect. I, I see where it is, but I will never understand it. The very basis of our faith is not outward appearance. And I don't know how much more clear we can be about that. I don't know how much more clear Jesus could have been about that. Like read through the Bible. The man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees outside you're you're like whitewashed tombs you're gorgeous on the outside and perfect and inside you're full of dead men's bones over and over he says it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside it doesn't matter how clean and pristine and wonderful and caring you look on the outside if on the inside you really don't give a crap about people who have suffered from sexual abuse and I think that that is the reason that meme bothers me so much because it takes the church's obsession with how it looks and it keeps it. Like instead of saying we don't give a crap that speaking out against sexual abuse makes the church look bad because it doesn't matter what the church looks like. It matters that we save precious little souls from being destroyed by predators. In the King James Version of the Bible, and I'm using the King James because we are discussing IFB preachers or an IFB preacher at the moment, the word compassion appears 46 times in the King James Version of the Bible. We hear over and over again about Jesus being moved with compassion for people. We hear it over and over again in the Old Testament, um, God having compassion on his people, comforting his people, having compassion on his afflicted ones. Acting according to his compassion and his kindness. I mentioned it a few minutes ago, but I'll mention it again. The very basis of our faith is love. Like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we've kind of got it in our heads now that we have these fancy schmancy churches everywhere, we've kind of got it in our heads that it's more like, for God so loved his reputation. That he gave his one and only son. Like, when did we trade compassion for human life for a pretty sparkling church reputation? I don't see scripture talking about the church's reputation, at least not in a way that tells us that it's God's main concern. <laughs> (laughs) in scripture. It's not. What is his main concern? His unfailing love and his great compassion for human beings. I don't know how that we lose sight of that so easily when it is the basis, the the basis of our faith is God's love for us. Like, we love him because he first loved us. It is his great love and his kindness that leads us to repentance. The Bible very literally tells us that we're not to be concerned with our outward appearance, that God's not concerned with our outward appearance. And in fact, if your outward appearance is great, but inside your dried up dead men's bones, that's a very, very, very bad thing. God has compassion on his children the same way a father has compassion on his children. Like the Bible tells us that. So imagine if you viewed every single time a child was sexually abused within the church, if you viewed that as your very own child is the victim, if you viewed it as though somebody you loved with all your heart had been violated in this disgusting way in which no one should ever be violated, Imagine if every single time we would treat one of these stories as though the victim in the story was someone beloved to us. Because I promise you, that is the way God views the victim in each one of these stories. I get some of the, I don't want to say like lesser parts of our faith, but yeah, the lesser parts of our faith. I get some of those things getting mixed up and and screwed up. You know, people get into a church and they start arguing about the color the carpet should be or what kind of pews or chairs you should have or, you know, who's in charge of what and should we set up this toilet paper committee? Like, I get it. We get into churches and there's a lot of like peripheral stuff people start worrying about. But I do not understand how a compassionate savior, a compassionate God is something that we ever get away from. How did we get from Jesus loves the little children to we need to sacrifice little children so that the church reputation remains pristine and intact? That is not Jesus. That is not the gospel. I am 100,000% confident in saying that because it's the truth. When Jesus saw people in the Bible repeatedly, and these are like just regular old people and sinners, it's not like, oh, I saw this wonderful person who spends like you know, 60 hours a week in the synagogue praying. No, it was normal people. And when Jesus would see them, he would have compassion on them. He'd have compassion on them and heal their sick. He would have compassion on them and feed them. He would have compassion on them And teach them. Jesus never turned somebody away or never treated somebody with disdain because they didn't look the part, because they weren't important enough, because whatever they had done made him look bad. Do you remember the woman caught in adultery? He didn't run away from her. He didn't say, oh, gosh, this woman that just got caught doing this really gross thing, like literally caught in the act, she's going to make me look bad. So I best be getting on out of here and not have her, you know, soiled reputation tarnish mine. Um, no, instead... His posture toward her was one of compassion, telling her, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. If he does that for the woman caught in adultery, how much more compassion does he have for an innocent child who is sexually violated by a predator? How much more compassion does he have for someone whose innocence is snatched and stolen from them? And when churches see this happening, and when churches are alerted to the fact that it's happening... It blows my mind. I cannot wrap my brain around the fact that the first thought goes to protecting the reputation of the church. The first thought is not, oh my goodness, that poor child. What has been done to this beautiful, innocent human being created in God's image, who God loves, who is one of God's children? How do our brains miss that and go straight to, pervert, get out of my church because you're making my church look bad. No, perverts are not making your church look bad. Perverts are destroying beautiful human beings created in God's image, snatching their innocence, often snatching their ability to have a fulfilling and trusting relationship with the God who created them. That should have us on our knees. That should have us in tears. That should move us with compassion the same way Jesus was moved with compassion. But instead, our thoughts go immediately to, wow, this makes our church look bad. And back to that meme, whoever created it is very smart because they clearly knew that they couldn't talk about what really mattered when it came to sexual abuse in the church, which is lives being destroyed, precious lives being destroyed, lives that Jesus loves being destroyed. They couldn't talk about that because it wouldn't hit home for anybody. So what they had to talk about instead is get on the level of the church leaders that you're dealing with. Get down on their level and put it in words they can understand, which is speaking out about sexual abuse is not what makes your church look bad. Kids being sexually abused in your church is what makes your church look bad, and that'll get their attention. That'll get some sermons where people say, "Quit being perverts at our church." We're gonna, we're gonna call the cops so fast, your head'll spin. Go down the street to that church and abuse children. Like maybe it's said tongue in cheek. You know, I'm not here to say that like nothing in that message or sermon was tongue in cheek or that everything was wrong. Um, but telling somebody like, "We don't want you in our church because you're making us look bad." Go down the street and abuse kids. You're missing the bloody point completely missing it. Like it just flew right over your head. And when your job on this earth like is to be a house of worship, a place where the body of Christ can gather, it's really, really scary that you miss the point of why sexual abuse is so bad. It's not so bad because your church might end up in a lawsuit. It's not so bad because your church might end up on the news looking pretty crappy. It's not so bad because people might leave your church because someone was sexually abused. It's not so bad that you might lose out on some giving in church because of the sexual abuse. The reason it is so freaking bad is because it is the destruction of innocent lives that are loved deeply by God. And I have to say that while none of us are ever going to love exactly the way that God does, none of us are ever going to be able to have compassion the way that he does. I will go out on a limb and say, if you cannot access your compassion and your empathy for children who are being sexually assaulted, you do not need to be in church leadership. You do not need to be in church ministry because the entire point of the gospel is God's love for us, his compassion for us. That's why we're saved. That's what the gospel is all about. So next time you see that meme, just like use a magic marker, cross some stuff out, fixed it for you. Speaking out on sexual abuse doesn't make the church look bad because it doesn't freaking matter that your church looks bad. What matters is little lives, precious lives, are being destroyed and I don't know how to tell you that you need to care about that. And it's a serious question. If that doesn't move you at all, if that doesn't move any part of you that this is happening to small children, what the heck are you doing as a minister of the gospel? The heck are you doing? Why are you preaching the gospel? Why do you want people to get saved if you can't muster up compassion for a child who's been sexually assaulted? Where is your love? Where is your Christ-like compassion? It doesn't seem that it exists. And that's a very, very, very scary thing to have in church leadership. That's what I've got for you today. Just wanted to get that off my chest. It feels great um, doing that. And uh, if you have anything to add, as always, you can join us on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group page, search Survivor Sanctuary podcast and request to join. Answer that one quick and easy membership question. It asks you what the podcast is about, and then it gives you multiple choice. So you're going to be fine answering that question, and then I'll add you into the group. You can always email me too. I know some people are not comfortable posting publicly in the group, and that's totally fine. You can email me directly, kelly at survivorsanctuary.com, and I will get back with you and answer your emails as I'm able. Have a great one, and I'll catch you back here next time on another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast.